Welcome to The Disenfranchised, helping you to find a career path away from employment by exploring the franchise community. My name's Ed Pennell, and I'll be speaking with the entrepreneurs, experts, and leaders from across the franchise community, discovering their life stories and hearing their tips for success away from the typical nine to five grind. On this episode, I'm speaking with Joe Middleton, a serial entrepreneur and founder of Seven Companies. She's now sold many of these businesses and now focuses on WYSIWOO's Kids Club and Franchise Business School. WYSIWOO's Kids Club is focused on making finance fun for kids. Operating from primary schools, they teach children aged four to seven through school holiday and half-term clubs using a unique mimic teaching formula, which incorporates movement, music, and creativity to encourage independent and imaginative learning. Franchise Business School helps owners of SMEs discover whether or not franchising is for them before hand-holding them through the process of fast-tracking their business growth. On top of all this, Joe is also a franchise partner across four territories for the Baby Baller franchise. I've already spoken to Joe before recording this intro and I mean, what a list of uh, achievements and on top of this she's won various awards and things like that but um, she's just a really nice person to deal with as well and it's really, really um, enjoyable person to speak with. It's uh, enjoyable to find this and I think it's it's commonplace in franchising. So, um, speaking about um, really positive experiences, I'd also like to uh, just at this point drop in a, a little note about Symphony, the sponsors of this podcast. Symphony offers outsourced customer support services so you can focus on growing your business or franchise while they take care of your calls, emails, and web chats. By letting Symphony take the strain, their team of customer service experts will respond to your customers' inquiries and questions quickly and accurately while keeping them happy and coming back for more. Their expertly trained team provides live chat, email response, social media management and phone call handling 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, meaning you'll never miss an opportunity. Uh, You can find out more about Symphony and their services for franchisees and businesses at www.symphony.co.uk forward slash disenfranchised. That's www.symphony.co.uk forward slash disenfranchised. All right, so let's jump back into this conversation with Joe. I think it's going to be a really interesting one to see how um, how and why she started so many businesses and, and why now as a franchisor, an experienced franchisor, she's now decided to take on uh, four franchise locations with a, another brand as well. So uh, without any further ado, let's get cracking on with the interview and uh, here we go. So, Joe Middleton, welcome to the Disenfranchised. How are you doing today? Thank you. Yeah, all good. All good. I was literally just thinking how quickly already 2022 is, is whizzing by us. I know. Uh, we're, we're in 2022, are we? Yeah. <laughs> when did that happen? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, so it's, it's it's busy start to the year for you. Then you you've got lots going on. I mean, looking at your LinkedIn profile, I think you've got too too many plates in my mind. I'm not sure how you're coping <laughs> with it, but you clearly are. So um, yeah, what's what's kind of the main focus for you for for the beginning of this year so far? Um, predominantly the the, the main two businesses that I work on are WYSIWOO's Kids Clubs and Franchise Business School. Um, but although it may seem like I've got a lot on, I've, I've never 
run one business at a time. So to me, it's quite normal. Um, and I have an infrastructure, a team in place who I wouldn't be able to do everything without. So um, although it, it may seem like I'm spinning lots of plates, I'm actually um, actually quite chilled. <laughs> oh, excellent. That's, that's where I'd like to be one day. But um, I guess we'll dig into that in a, in a moment or two. Um, but before we do, we've got to, to start um, at the place we always start. And that's just to, to find out your first job. Mm. So I was double glazing telesales and again, I had two jobs. <laughs> um, so double glazing telesales, 5 to 8 p.m. Monday to Friday after school. And yeah. then at weekends, I was working as a care assistant in a rest home. Fantastic. So uh, the, the, the double, double glazing sales, I remember going for an interview um, once at one, one of the local firms and I was put off it straight away because they took you through into the back room that had no windows and all of the, the the phones and computer systems were against the back wall completely, you know, and 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 nobody was facing each other. It was like, yeah, we, we structured it this way so no one can talk to each other. And it it kind of felt like quite a daunting prospect when I was young looking at doing something like that. Um, was Was it the same for you? Similar, um, although we were allowed to speak to each other. Um, so it was kind of a, a in the back room, but a U shape of tables. And we all sat around the, the U shaped tables, literally with a phone and the yellow pages. And everyone would work through the yellow pages, just cold calling, cold calling, cold calling. Very scripted. Um, there was a, a whiteboard with um, all the sales on. Um, so we were getting the appointments for the sales reps to go around. Um, so what what I know now um, as a, a sales funnel, we were kind of the, the ones sourcing the leads as the sales reps would go out and then hopefully sell. Um, but it was brutal. It was very sort of um, from both points of view. We were we were quite um, or, or made to be quite um, tough to the customers and not take no for an answer and badger them. Um, and likewise, the sales reps, the, the same. Um, and then it was quite tough to keep being told no as well. But I guess from a first job point of view, age 15, didn't really um it didn't really knock me I guess as much as it would it might do now being told no that many times yeah sure it builds up resilience when you're doing a, a role like that doesn't it and um it's, it's, it's interesting it sounds like you're you're kind of at peace with it you you weren't too um you didn't hate it too much because I know a lot Not of too people traumatized. You know, <laughs> yeah <laughs> a lot of people really find it yeah traumatic experience so you found it okay or and 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 also, I want to add an extra question onto that. Um, did you prefer that to the, the working in the care home or what was kind of your preference? Oh, that's um, that's tricky. I don't I think I like both because the telesales was quite sort of high, fast paced. And um, although we only got three pounds an hour, <laughs> the commission was really good um, and I could sell. So it, it worked well for me. Um, but the care assistant side of things and um, when, last time we moved house, I actually found um, the, uh, a list, a handwritten list that I'd written out of all the bedtime drinks for all the, um, all, the all the people in the care home, Ovaltine and Horlicks. And 
Um, and I remember every single person, at, they were so amazing and I learned so much from them. Um, there, there was Charlie who was a war veteran with one leg. Um, <laughs> Molly who um, used to be a dress um, dressmaker um, and while she was on the toilet she'd be hemming your dress for you and <laughs> making your dress right and they were all just such amazing characters to be able to be part of their um, their, their lives and be able to look after them and make them comfortable so I guess I guess both there's no kind of um, preference yeah no that's that's cool it's nice to hear and I think Maybe um, it's just me, but from from the outside, I always think it's quite a difficult job that working in a, a, a care home because um, I think of the horrible tasks that may be involved, yeah. but also the 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 kind of heartache that you might might feel if if somebody does does leave, you know, for whatever reason. And um, yeah, I, I think I'd find it very difficult to work in that environment environment, probably more so than the call centre environment. Um, Certainly. So, um, yeah, I think I think it's it sounds like it's, it's it's you're reflecting on it in a positive way, which is 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 really cool, and it's really good to see to yeah. see those memories as well. I think the hardest part, and it happened twice, um, was with husband and wife couples that had been together sort of 60, 70 years, and um, one would go before the other. And then you see the heartache, obviously. Um, yeah. And then the other one would, would it seem, die of a broken heart, effectively. And that that's heartbreaking to, to see. But um, but on the whole, you know, we we do things like um, dancing and singing, and um, they teach us songs, and we teach them songs, and we'd get dogs in, and um, it was just. Uh, a nice environment to be able to make a difference to to someone's life in that way and hope that that my grandparents would one day have that same level of care which I, I hope that um, we managed to achieve that for them. Excellent so where, where did your career take you then because uh, that's obviously not your your long-term job that is your first job so um, what, what did you want to do and then where did you kind of go in your career? So I always wanted to work with animals, um, but I was brought up bilingually French-English because my mum's from Belgium. Um, so we spoke French at home. Uh, Dad was away in the army. So it was it was just the language we spoke at home was French. Um, and then at school, I'd speak English. So I, I was completely bilingual, still am. Um, and I was always told that um, although I wanted to work with animals, that's not the way I should go because um, you never make a living from working with animals. And because I was bilingual, um, I should go down the route of, of utilising the language that I have and maybe work for the embassy or something um, was, was one of the um, jobs that I was kind of pushed towards. Um, with, with the best of intentions from my parents, of course. Sure. Um, but... I did that for a while. I, I worked, um, I lived in Paris and I worked for a um, tourism agency over there. I did a programme where it was um, a couple of 
um, months in a, a language school and then a few months in um, placement working in um, Frantour, um, selling tickets for Moulin Rouge and um, Tour Eiffel and just just basically selling <laughs> again. Yeah. Um, and, and looking back, all the pieces of the different jobs I've had over the years were components if you like that prepared me to go self-employed which is really cool um so so yeah I did that and I I enjoyed living in Paris and I enjoyed the tourism side of things but I did come back to the UK and it was when I was pregnant with my eldest daughter um that I started a virtual assistant business so this was the millennium um, and it was with the help of the local chamber of commerce and industry. I had a great support um, from the Prince of Trust as well. Um, and I had my own mentor from the, the Prince's Trust. Um, so 22 years ago, and it was a bit before its time as a virtual assistant agency. Um, but it was it was really cool because I was doing things like dissertations for students, uh, medical students, particularly typing up their, their dissertations. Um, I had a couple of customers who had disabilities who were unable to type up their work. Um, so they'd record everything on audio and then I'd transcribe it for them. And it was really cool. Um, but then daughter came along and um, I got pregnant with my second daughter and at that point needed to, to get a house quite quickly. Um, yeah. So I went back into employment when I was pregnant with my second daughter and parked um, the Word Perfect, it was called, my virtual assistant business. Um, and that was the only business that I've started that I haven't sold. All the other businesses that I've started over the years, I've built up and, and sold on. Um, and that's what I really enjoy doing is the, the building and then the selling. Yeah, it's interesting. It's quite a, a bold move to go into an area that, yeah, nobody knows about really as a, as a, as a service. I mean, even mm -hmm. today, I don't think everybody's completely au fait with what a virtual assistant is and, and what they can do for a business because... I mean, I have to admit, I, I only only of the last year or so, I've been in, in interviewing um, VAs that I've I've realised actually it's it's not just typing up documents now. It's a whole host of services from business optimization through to um, you know the operational side of things and marketing and, and yeah, it's it's almost anything and everything, isn't it? Um, so yeah, that's that's quite interesting. You got into that or, or created that sort of business so early. So what what kind of inspired you to do that how did you come up with the idea um i i spoke to the local chamber of commerce industry and said i'd, I'd really like to go self-employed i don't want to be um away i want to be there for my daughter but i don't want to um i don't want to be working full-time and and not be present um but i needed to bring some income in um, so we looked at all the skill sets and different things that I'd done, and that was what we, we kind of settled on. And then in 2017, I think it was, it might have been 2018, um, I set up another virtual assistant business with a view of supporting my network of franchisees at the time. 
Um, so they, that virtual assistant business provided support for the head office team, but because they were familiar with the brand, they were ideally placed then for any franchisees who needed a virtual assistant to, to outsource to them as well. And it was a really different experience. I don't know whether it's because I had, um, I, I was running it purely as a management business um, or whether it was because of the level that digitalization has moved on since I set up the first one. Um, but it, yeah, it, it really different. And then I sold that one in uh, 2019 when I started Franchise Business School to the general manager and it's still running well today and I still use its services. Oh, awesome. So you, you said there that you had a, a, a franchise before that then, or you, you, you were a franchisor before then. So um, what, what sort of business was that that you'd, you'd built up? Um, that was Dog First Aid. So I, um, I had a pet care business <laughs> before that <laughs> um, and puppy classes before that. Um, so when I, when I had my second daughter, I kind of thought, right, okay, what do I actually enjoy? And I read a book um, called Change Your Life in Seven Days by Paul McKenna fantastic book and I, I read it in seven days you read a chapter a day um, and it didn't change my life in those seven days but I swear it has changed my life <laughs> oh, cool. um, so I read that book and it made me realize that I needed to be doing something that I was passionate about that I really enjoyed and that's always been animals animals have always been at the core dogs and horses particularly but we've now got a small holding with ducks and alpacas and chickens and sheep and, <laughs> <laughs> and I love them all very dearly they're all amazing individual beings in their own right um but yeah, so I had my pet care business that I started and I had a fleet of, of fans and a great team. Um, and I thought about franchising that because it had been done many times before by other pet, pet care providers. So I, I knew it was an option and I'd looked into franchising. I'd done my research and I was kind of sort of teetering on the edge. I'd had a couple of meetings with franchise consultants and I, I, I kind of thought about it. So this must have been sort of 2011-ish, 2010, 2011. Um, and then I accidentally started Dog First Aid. And I do mean completely accidentally. <laughs> <laughs> um, I had an incident with one of my own dogs um, and we were out on a walk and he came back covered in blood. Um, and I've done all my human first aid training um but I couldn't make that translation to the dog in that moment um if it had been a, a child or an adult I would have known exactly what I was going to do and but with the dog I just kind of picked him up and chucked him in the car and drove to the vets I didn't attempt to assess the wound for a foreign body or do a pressure bandage or ring the vets to make sure there was actually a vet there who could see the dog um so I rushed down luckily he was okay he didn't need stitches but he was okay um and so I went on a dog first aid course but I had to travel miles to do so and when I got there I didn't come away feeling the level of confidence that I wanted to feel um so I thought right okay and all pet professionals should know this information all pet professionals 
Same as if you put your child into a nursery, you expect the staff to be paediatric first aid yeah. trained. Um, so I worked with some vets and I put a course together and it was literally just intended as a one-off course um, for local dog boarders, groomers, daycare. Um, I didn't even hire the main hall at the venue. I just hired the little side room because I didn't figure it would even be busy. And it went crazy, absolutely crazy. I had to hire a second date off the back of advertising the first one on the pet care pages. Um, and that one got fully booked. And then through the power of Facebook, um, I got contacted by Rescue in Wales, who asked me to go over there and do one. And before I knew it, I was sort of pinging about the country, dragging children with me <laughs> every weekend. <laughs> Um, and it, yeah, it went crazy. And so I got some business advice and I also got some legal advice because I had some copyright issues around the, the content. And um, both parties said that in order to protect it and to scale it and to keep the quality, um, look at franchising. No one's done that before. There are no dog first aid franchises. Um, but I did. Yeah. So um, we scaled and, and when I sold it in 2020 we had franchisees from the north of Scotland down to the Isle of Wight um, wow. and so yeah doing really really well. So you, you mentioned they dra dragging your kids to, to classes you know courses all over the place so how did um how did you find that trying to you know strike that balance between having a, a young family and and starting quite a few businesses really during that period of time? Bribery, I think, is key. <laughs> <laughs> Those golden arches that are very well known in the franchising yeah, industry yeah. definitely played a part. Um, it was okay until they got to teenage years and then they didn't want it. It wasn't cool to come to mum, out with mum to work. But I would say that compared to children the same age as them now, when I, I'm interviewing sort of 15, 16, 17, 18 year olds now for roles within my companies, my children have got a great level of confidence. They can sell, they can set up a, a venue and prepare um, a stand to, to sell from. Their customer service is <laughs> their telephone manner. Everything's on point with my children. And I'm not saying that just as a mum, but as an employer, I can see a massive difference because they've been raised, um, been dragged up, if you like, <laughs> um, through me being self-employed and having to jump in on the business. They were the ones answering the calls age 10 on the pet care business. Um, so they've had that sort of um, foundation of being involved in businesses from such an early age. Um, through having no choice that I think it's really stood them in good stead with skills they they haven't learned at school yeah that's that's so true isn't it at school they're not really taught for anything about the business world or employment are they really um, especially not in the, the the younger years anyway and I'm sure we'll come on to this in a, in a bit more detail in a, in a little while but um, yeah having that exposure to to what you're doing they're they're going to kind of copy you in some way aren't they and, and pick up things that you're doing subconsciously without you having to teach them because they, they they're seeing it day to day and what you're doing and 
And it's interesting, quite a lot of the, the entrepreneurs that I've spoken to that have started their own business and turned it into a franchise, um, their families of entrepreneurial, if not directly, mm-hmm. uh, their parents, but their grandparents or uncles and aunties, and they, they join in with the, the market stool or, or whatever it may be, you know. So I think it's, it's quite interesting that it, uh, I, I don't think it's um, necessarily nature. I think a lot of it is nurture in terms of kids becoming entrepreneurs in the, in the long run. Um, which yeah I just find really interesting because for me I didn't have that at all um, in my world Mm. and and I can see how I would have benefited from it you know so uh, yeah that's that's really cool. It is interesting because my parents weren't self-employed dad was in the army mum was a head teacher and I'm a third generation teacher if you like so trainer training I grew up in the staff room and in lessons so for me teaching comes naturally and running training courses and and teaching children um, it's just natural to me and I think it must have something to do with being um, in that environment from an early age but what I found out was that my great uncle so my mum's uncle um, was actually a really successful entrepreneur and the although the brand doesn't live on and was bought out um, he used to make um, he used to have a factory and produce Belgian chocolates in Belgium um, and although the brand doesn't live on the memorabilia from that brand sells for hundreds on eBay still um, and it, it, my mum was absolutely astounded because she said, like, we grew up with all of this stuff around us all the time. So to see it going for hundreds on eBay is really bizarre. Um, it was just kind of what they played with when they were children, like the packaging and the tins. And <laughs> so I wonder if there is something in that, in, in that, you know, the entrepreneurial spirit comes down through generations, perhaps. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Maybe it's a bit of both, I guess. Same with most things, isn't it? I, I suppose uh, there's a bit of both in there. But um, let, let's let's move on to kind of um, uh, one of your businesses now that you have that's very relevant to this topic in, in WYSIWYS. Could you tell us kind of um, how how you've uh, established the business and um, yeah, a little bit about it so, so the audience can kind of understand where you're at um, at the moment as well? Yeah, sure. So um WYSIWYS I founded in December 2020 and it was after I just sold dog first aid um I started franchise business school in 2019 um so I I had franchise business school which is kind of one-on-one consultancy um which is awesome um and helps business owners to understand franchising which is obviously an industry that I'm hugely passionate about but I wanted um, to make a difference and I'd like to leave a legacy of having helped children to understand finances better from an early age. And I'll tell you a few sort of stats, if you like, because yeah, please do. they blew my mind when I started looking into it further. I knew I wasn't happy that my children had come out of school not knowing what a credit file was or what a mortgage was um, or how to calculate interest rates I mean that that's hugely frustrating because they're everyday life skills that you need as an adult that they're not taught at school but when I actually did did some digging into it 
the link between financial difficulties and poor mental health is massive. And over 420,000 people in the UK alone have suicidal thoughts because of their finances every year, with nearly a quarter of those actually going on to attempt suicide. There's wow. a study by the University of Cambridge that says that our money, um, our opinions around money are set by age seven. And that becomes earlier and earlier because of the digital age that we've spoken about. Um, because as soon as our children have got access to a screen, they're being targeted by highly trained marketing professionals who are forming their opinions and, um, I don't know what the right word is, bending perhaps their perception of what they want and what they need so that they're not able to identify their needs over their wants. Um, Step Change Debt Charity are a charity that we're in regular contact with and they report that um, people with financial difficulties are twice as likely to suffer from major depression so if we're not making that difference before age seven, really, in our children's lives and, and getting that financial literacy out to them before age seven, they're twice as likely to suffer from major depression when they come into financial difficulties as adults. And I just feel as a society, we've got a duty to future generations to make a change now and it hasn't happened. So WYSIWYS is set up to teach primary school children about money. We use our own unique mimic formula, which incorporates movement, imagination, music, independence, nearly forgot my other eye then, <laughs> <laughs> independence and creation. So we do things through fun, through play, through music, through project-based work that creates the opportunities to discuss finance. Um, I just think the boring learning doesn't sink in, whereas if we make it fun for our children to learn, they will remember it. I focus on Sid the snake a lot. Um, when we were making the session plans, Sid the snake um, is spending, saving, investing and donating. So we have our core there. And every single session plan has its own unique woo, which is word. Um, word, objective and outcome that we identify for every session plan. We make sure that we meet all the relevant learning styles, make sure that every learning style is met. Um, and it, it's just an area that I'm hugely passionate about. And that already in the, I mean, in February, we had just shy of 200 children um, go through WYSIWYS and just the difference in opening their eyes to what is possible and um, what, what they can achieve in the future through financial literacy now. It's just, um, it's magic. I absolutely love it. Yeah, I, th I think it's awesome. And um, obviously we, we spoke about this briefly before recording this podcast. And um, you said to me that, you know, there, there's things that parents can do at home. And, and one of those was maybe to have a look on on Zoopla and, and do a, a fancy, um, you know, house buying session and fantasy house buying yeah <laughs> yeah and uh i've got a bone to pick you of you on that one um, oh dear <laughs> my, my daughter found a nine million pound house that she wanted to <laughs> for us to move into week, then. <laughs> yeah but no it, it was good because what it did was it it actually gave me an opportunity to say to her well look based on my full-time earnings you know without spending money on anything else it would take me 
uh, over 200 years to pay off, you know, mm-hmm. that amount of money. And you could see in her face, she went, whoa, like it, it really sunk in like, okay. And having those conversations is so important and thinking actually, how can we, and opening their sort of taking the blinkers off for them and opening them up. Um, so one of the exercises that we do towards the end of our sessions is visualization. We talk about how they can make money and then they close their eyes and we um, look at how um, how their, their lives would be if there was a limitless supply, how what would their lives look like? And they've actually got a business plan together in their heads. They, they can rationally work it out. And this is like 11, below, below age 11, and they're already thinking outside the box. So one um, girl was um, saying she's going to start a jewellery business. She'd already thought about niching into wedding rings, engagement rings and alterations. Um, and um, for, for heirlooms that have come down the generations. And she thought of this by herself. Um, cool. There's um, one, one key stage one, um, I think she was five or six, and she was talking about how she's making a lemonade stand and she, she thought about what equipment she'd need. And it's just so cool to hear. And after the visualization exercise, we passed around uh, post-it notes and the children write down just a little summary of what they enjoyed most about the session or what they would like to do when they're older. Um, and things like, I really enjoyed dreaming about buying my first Tesla. And you're like, <laughs> wow, where did that come from? And I'm really looking forward to having a swimming pool and just having those goals. Because if you haven't got a dream, how are you going to make your dreams come true? Um, so, yeah, it's it's an area that I'm really passionate about. Um, obviously, we talk about nitty gritty stuff. Um, it's not all sort of woo woo and <laughs> fun and laughter. We do actually incorporate all the, the key learnings around the spending, saving, investing, donating, smart shopping, taxes, fraud. We look at lots of other um, aspects. But bearing in mind that every five minutes in the UK, someone's declared insolvent or bankrupt. Um, and you know, nearly 2,000 people every day are contacting the Citizens Advice Bureau um, saying that they've got debt problems. We need to stop this cycle. We need to, to break it. And I do think education is the key. So, um, yeah, that's, and, and that's it's early on is the key part of that, isn't it? Rather than, you know, to adults who maybe have already got a preconceived idea of finances and what it means to them. I think um, the stat about uh, new people starting a new business. I mean, I've seen it floating around the franchising industry a lot, but over 80, 85% of businesses fail in the first five years, whether that's true or not, it's got to be high, a high kind of number, hasn't it, for it to to be banded around so much. And that's, that's quite worrying, really, isn't it that people just don't know how to start a business that I guess they start to to throw some stuff out there and then hope it sticks and and then fall down because they didn't realize there's there's other costs involved maybe and um yeah if, if it's somewhere in the education system that was taught that would probably be really really useful but uh yeah i i think i'm realizing that the education system is is a difficult subject to talk about because 
people that are, are involved in the, the, the education system are trying their hardest to deliver what they can, but it doesn't necessarily um, give young people the skills required to to live in the real world almost, you know. And so I think I think things like what you're doing and there's there's lots of other brands out there doing different things to help teach children some some basics so that they've got a chance in the in the real world I think it's really important and, and really good so uh yeah glad to hear you're doing it and um I'm I've downloaded some of the content um so I'll be going Brilliant. through that myself with my kids they're five and seven so Brilliant. maybe a little bit early but um yeah I'll definitely be be looking at never what, too early never too early <laughs> never too early do. never too late <laughs> yeah exactly yeah I mean I'm I'm learning now <laughs> well, we, all <laughs> but, know. we all know yeah absolutely yeah exactly so yeah now that that's that's really cool that business and you, you touched on it a moment ago so franchise business school so tell me a little bit about that and how the idea came around for it as well so in 2019, I was selling Purple Frogs, the virtual assistant business that I started um, to the general manager who still runs it now. Um, and I started, I was building up to sell dog first aid and franchise business school. I started to keep me out of mischief um, for when, when dog first aid sold. Um, and Franchise Business School was built to help make franchising more accessible to the smaller business. So the first Franchising Foundations course I ran was the beginning of 2020, um, January 2020. And it's very much around getting the business franchise ready, making sure it's the right decision because franchising isn't right for a lot of businesses. Um, and making sure it's the right decision for the owner as well, because they need to be in the right mindset. They need to understand that when they franchise, the franchise business is a different business to the one that they've been running, and they need to be prepared for how that's going to look. So it's very much around not just going through the franchising process and I work slightly differently to other franchise consultants because I, I sort of go holistic from conception <laughs> are you ready to franchise what does your business need to look like um supporting all the way through to actually working with networks with their franchisees and helping to support their franchisees ongoing as well so Franchise Business School, I guess, is the one that I'm more um, involved with on a day-to-day -day basis than the other businesses. I've got teams in place um, that help more, and I'm more of a strategic, um, whereas with Franchise Business School, it's recorded, cl recorded classes um, and one-to-one -one consultancy. So, yeah, so hence... Um, <laughs> hence where I um, have my my big light above me right now and my microphone next to me because I do spend a lot of my life sat here um, recording franchise business school stuff yeah cool so just just as a kind of reference point how many businesses have you started and then franchised yourself only the one um dog first aid in 2013 um, and then started getting it ready in 2013 and then got the first franchisee on board 
16, I think. So making sure the model was well yeah. tried and tested. And that's where I'm at with WYSIWYS at the moment, that piloting, making sure the model is sound and all the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed before we actually um, bring franchisees on board. Yeah, sure. What what some of the, the challenges maybe then you faced, uh, you know, in, in, in converting your business into a franchise like you personally, I mean? Hmm. Um, oh, I think the mindset thing, definitely. Um, my dad dying um, in the middle of... Um, that sounds terrible. That sounds like <laughs> my dad was really selfish for dying in the middle of me franchising my business. But I don't mean it like that at all. No, but it's um, life, isn't it? <laughs> just know, a massive curveball. Yeah. yeah. Um, and having to park everything. Um, however, that in a way kind of um, made the model stronger because I literally had to hand everything over to my virtual assistant at the time um, and say, I'm gonna have some time off. I need to go and be by my dad's bedside. Here's the operations manual, off you go. <laughs> um, so yeah, so it, it did kind of mean that she thoroughly tested it before we even got any pilots on board, which was cool. Um, but that definitely, um, for some reason, I then associated the franchise with my dad dying, which it sounds really odd, but it was kind of linked somewhere in my head. Mm. Um, so I, there was a lot of mindset stuff to kind of work through there. And then I guess the other thing is working with consultants who um, hadn't walked the walk um, when I first started. Um, so it wasn't until I'd actually sold my first franchise that I found Mark Rash. Um, who's an incredible chap um, who has taken franchises international um, and is a, a genuinely good bloke. Um, before that, I'd worked with a couple of franchise consultants who, had I taken the advice of one in particular, I, I would have been really in hot bother legally, I think, because the, he was producing cash flow forecasts that he wanted me to use to sell the model to franchisees that were implying that franchisees would be earning six figures out of running a, a Dog Thursday franchise, which was absolute cobblers. Um, so obviously I didn't carry on working with him, but they were kind of stumbling blocks, if you like, along the way. Um, so I think, yeah, they're kind of the top top areas that I found trickiest yeah yes yeah. it's, it's just interesting because you, you never know somebody might be listening to this who's who's uh, owns a business or their family members owns a business and they're thinking okay maybe let's convert this into a franchise um mm -hmm. the thick the I'm no expert in that kind of conversion point but the feeling I get is that it's actually a longer journey than you think you know to get all the processes written down and set up and and think about how you structure the, the support and training that you would give to a franchisee and then as you say the piloting part of it it's it's a big life decision I guess and that mindset piece is really important because it's it's no longer you know um your baby where you do everything it's now your baby where you have to let other people take it and run with it isn't it so it's yeah it's got to be pretty challenging I think to, to to do that as a business owner yeah I completely agree and I think that um 
that feeling because you have started the business it's not one that you've bought um you, you've got that sort of personal attachment to it um and that is one of the the biggest areas that i work on with new business owners that are looking to france to start with is how's it going to look once it's built and how are you going to feel about that and what mind monkeys have you got um what monkey chatter have you got if you like um around that is there anything that's going to hold you back personally um from from making it built and how do we overcome those those blocks yeah sure so um i hope you don't mind me asking the question but you you've also um <laughs> what uh, you know a franchise partner now for baby ballers if you're happy to speak about that so 100% yeah so baby ballers is awesome um so yeah i'm a franchisee for baby ballers i own four territories and i work with their head office as well um baby ballers is just the coolest amount of fun so all of our children are now teenagers and we are literally just banks cash points occasional hug if we're lucky um <laughs> with chefs <laughs> um but that preschool age uh WYSIWYS doesn't cover preschool um I kind of love that innocence the oh it's just amazing so I bought four baby ballers franchise territories as a management model um and there are lots of baby ballers franchisees out there who do run management models but I can't leave it alone I do still pop into all of my clubs and I make sure I'm in contact with the parents and they've all got my number and we organize social stuff because it is just so much fun um so we basically make football fun for 16 months to five-year-olds and um I think that the main thing that makes baby ballers different is that the franchisor is the USP um it, I think you've had him on Rich yeah um, Rich yeah <laughs> yeah yeah so it, he's always on the go and combined with his brother Chris who comes from a franchising background in the gym industry it's a real power team um and they're very ethical in their approach to franchising which obviously resonates um well with me um so yeah baby ballers is is awesome i would highly recommend anyone listening head over to babyballers.com shameless plug they are awesome <laughs> brilliant well it, it's is interesting because um the, the businesses that you've been involved in are the ones that people you know people say don't ever work with uh, children <laughs> or animals and and you're doing both and, and 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 enjoying it from the sounds of it so that's that's really cool but I had one question around your, your, you know, you looking at that uh, baby ballers as a, a franchisee or a franchise partner. Um, yeah, why why do that when you're a very entrepreneurial person that's capable of setting up and running businesses and even franchising yes. them? Why why then also look at um, franchising through somebody else's business? Mm. Because. I wanted to walk the walk, if you like. When I'm supporting franchisees, I've always looked at things from a, a franchisor hat, if you like, but I've never been a franchisee for someone else. So to be able to look at things from both sides of the coin, and it does make you look at things slightly different, being a, a franchisee, 
Um, although I do wonder if I still sort of, I'm more understanding maybe than, than if, because uh, I can see all aspects of the, the business. Yeah. Um, but also I have got four children in my life, very blessed to have four children in my life. Um, and so I bought four franchise territories with a few that I'm going to build them up, sell them. And each territory is a house deposit for a child to awesome. get them started on the, the housing ladder. Are all the territories equal in terms of revenue? Because one child's going <laughs> to maybe <laughs> miss out. <laughs> you don't have to answer that. I'm just, jo- I'm just joking. No, I haven't thought of that though. That's a really good point. Um, but the aim was to get the kids involved and let them um, be involved in the growth of the, their territory that would then be sold um, for them to... Um, have as a house deposit however it hasn't quite worked out like that Um, one out of the four is probably quite interested and the others don't really um, get involved (laughs) but it is what it is and um, I love baby ballers so (laughs) yeah it's great isn't it and and um, you, you mentioned something else a couple of times that I realised not everybody necessarily knows what it means, but uh, a management model. What's Could you explain a little bit more what a management model is for, in franchising? Yeah, so it's, a, it's where you're not owner-operator. So, for example, um, if I bought a Baby Ballers franchisee, I was the head coach and I employed a, an assistant coach and I just ran one or two clubs like that and I was going out delivering the coaching um, and um, that would be an owner-operator. Whereas with a, a management model, um, it's where you're a bit more, you hold yourself back, you're a bit more strategic. Um, so for example, I do kind of um, have it as a management model because I'm not the head coach in clubs. I've got a team of coaches that go out coaching. Um, I've got virtual assistants that do the socials and deal with the customer service side of things. Um, but I do make sure that I'm keeping my hand in and um, the parents know that they can contact me if they want to escalate anything or if, I don't know, during during the pandemic, if little Johnny came down with um, COVID and, and that kind of thing. Um, but a management model is where you're, you're more hands off and have things more automated running without you. I, I guess that... That seems um, quite an attractive model, but I guess comes with different headaches in that you then have staff and, and teams that you have to kind of coordinate as opposed to your stresses being on the ground and delivering the, the service, whatever that may be. So it's... Yeah, it's not it's not suitable for every business. Not every franchise business would be appropriate to have as a management model. Um, Baby Ballers is. Baby Ballers works both ways um but it's um yeah you I always recommend if someone's looking to buy a franchise that they're going to be um, running as a management model that they set aside at least three months to focus on building it themselves and getting their heads around the systems and processes and the um, way that that business runs so that they're not abdicate ab- Dedicating, <laughs> they're delegating when to their team sure. um, because I think once you start abdicating, it's a dangerous line in any business, whether it's a franchise business or uh, a business that hasn't been franchised, because you're, um, you're you're sort of removing 
any sort of element of, of your control, if you like, um, in the way the day to day is running. Whereas at least if you're delegating, you understand exactly the nuts and bolts of the business and you're keeping keeping yourself at the forefront. Yeah, sure. Makes a lot of sense. Excellent. So um, I, I think I can talk to you all day about your businesses and franchising, but um, we're, we're coming towards the end of the hour and I, I want to make sure I get in my my three questions I like to ask everyone. So I'm, I'm really in, intrigued to see what your answer is going to be for this first one. And that is um, what funny, strange or weird stories have you had in your, your career? And that can come from in franchising, <laughs> outside of franchising, anything. Mm, so I forgot you were going to ask me that one so I didn't prepare an answer I think probably the one that um I don't know if it's suitable for a podcast but anyway I'll tell you (laughs) you can always edit out oh dear so when I had my pet care business before I sold the pet care business I had a general manager in place who oversaw all the pet care providers and the fleet of, of vans so we had I think five vans out on the road and they all had names as well Betsy, Bertie, Boris. Anyway <laughs> I was sitting in Tesco's one night um, in the queue really busy Tesco's holding sort of juggling my bread and milk and, and shopping there and um, this voice just appeared in my ear and went ear dogging lady and then <laughs> went <laughs> it was my pet care manager and she literally just come over to me in the queue on ear dogging lady and then just left me (laughs) (laughs) turn around and she's gone oh my god (laughs) so that that's quite a cool one yeah (laughs) brilliant ear dogging lady (laughs) i don't know if that reputation stuck around here (laughs) (laughs) you'll know if anyone just starts uh, yeah sort of saying ear dogging lady again and uh... yeah but that was kind of um well it must be about seven eight eight years ago I still oh, mortified may- yeah maybe it's passed by now then <laughs> I hope so but I tell you what's really cool is she actually messaged me yesterday um because she found um one of our advertising labels um in the village that she lives in and it must be 10 years old because it's got the old landline on doesn't even have a mobile on it um oh, wow. and that's still out there and I saw one at the vet as well when I was at the vets last so um, even though I sold the business seven years ago and um, the, those labels were produced must be at least 10 years if not longer um, they're still out there <laughs> yeah cool that's interesting isn't it so um, anyway let's move on to the next question um, in terms of uh, again your, your career what's been your most inspiring or proudest moment Oh, um, I think the proudest moment has to be winning the awards that I've won. Um, very grateful to have been awarded um, EWIF New Woman Franchisor of the Year, um, Best Franchise Support at the um, Approved Franchise Association Awards a couple of years back. Um, I got dog first aid into the elite top 100 franchises. Um, so lots of highlights from, from the award-winning point of view. Um, but I think maybe the, the sort of proudest is the amount of giving back that my businesses do and the amount of money that we fundraise for various good causes. 
um, and, and the awareness that we raise for, for good causes as well. So I think that's, um, yeah, that's kind of probably my my proudest side. <laughs> yeah, no, that's cool. I mean, yeah, looking through that list, all of them are, are supporting other people in, in many ways. And I guess that that goes back to the the enjoyment you had in your your first job really was you know enjoying mm-hmm. people but using those set sales skills that you tied in like you said that it all kind of ties together doesn't it and and helps for the future so um i think you've got a good ethos with all of your businesses a good why i guess and then you've mm-hmm. used those other skills to, to 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 get them out there even more which is yeah really cool yeah and i think the um the WYSIWYS free ebook which is um shameless plug for that as well yeah. on the WYSIWYS forward by Alison Edgar MBE um to download and through lockdown um that had over a thousand downloads and and that ebook is based on helping parents to um in, implement financial literacy in the home so i'm really hopeful that my my little ebook has helped over a thousand families through through lockdown um so that's pretty cool as well yeah awesome that's really good so my final one then um before i let you go is um if somebody came to you and said i'm looking to buy a franchise regardless of which brand it is what one piece of advice would you give to them oh um i think google (laughs) (laughs) do your due diligence thoroughly um about the franchise or about um the industry as a whole not just the franchise that you're looking at um and yeah google is definitely a great source of information looking on companies house looking on the ipo website making sure they own their ipo uh their, their ip sorry and just really thoroughly doing your due diligence um i would encourage anyone who is coming on board to do a business plan um and to make sure that they've got their exit strategy lined up as well um i've actually got a book that i've just written around business exit strategies because i've been sort of building and selling businesses for so long it's one of the most common questions that i get asked is how how can i exit my business um so that will be coming out later on this year um but i think that you should always build your business based on what it's going to look like in three years five years time and know what that is like otherwise it's a bit like that whole analogy of getting in a car without having a destination in the sat nav um and it's very much the same when you're you're building a business so lots of advice I'd give people looking at a franchise. <laughs> More than one, but that's okay. I'll, I'll, let, I'll let you off. And it, it, it's really important. It was. I mean, I've got a list of questions here I was going to ask you, but we've we ran out of time, really. And one <laughs> Sorry, of them was around exit strategies. So maybe maybe we, we can do another one some other time and mm-hmm. um, talk about that in more detail, because I think you're right. It's it, So I, I, I've read a book um uh how to make a million of how to become a millionaire before breakfast and um yeah that was the one thing that really st- sort of stuck in my mind is something i hadn't thought about before but that was an exit strategy you know what do you want this business to look like because mm. um it's probably not going to be your business for life it, you know realistically no. it's not going to be the case so 
No, and I think that book is probably a really appropriate one for you to read, given your daughter's choice in housing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I think she's going to be disappointed, but we'll see. <laughs> you never know <laughs> yeah she just it basically because it had a balcony that was what the, the one oh, thing that she wanted her. and it is near the uh then the natural history museum that we went to a couple of weekends ago so yeah oh, i think amazing. i think uh, the parameters are changed maybe some point in the future so maybe i'll get the <laughs> price down a little bit <laughs> oh bless her awesome well joe thank you so much for your time today it's been a real pleasure speaking with you and, and getting to know you better and your background and to hear some of your advice as well and uh yeah thank you so much for your time you're very welcome thank you for having me on no worries bye-bye bye, -bye. bye. All right, so there we go. That was my conversation with Joe Middleton. I really enjoyed, I feel like I say it every single time, but I, I actually feel so lucky um, to be speaking to, to people like Joe um, because I've really enjoyed the conversation. She's um, a very kind, friendly uh, person who has got some great knowledge around building a business and franchising in general and um, to have the chance to speak with people like her I, I feel very privileged so I hope you managed to um, enjoy that conversation as well and, and took something away from it that was useful for you too. Um, one particular thing from speaking with Joe that really sticks out in my mind is the education for young people around finances and um, I'd spoken to Joe before this podcast and obviously again um, about the work that she's doing with WYSIWOOS and I think it's it's really interesting exciting but something that's doing some real good for for the world and uh, I hope yeah more people see that um, these this business is something that can really help their children to have a good grounding as they they grow um, and, and enter into the working world and I, I'm passionate about making sure that everybody knows that you know franchising is an option for their career but um, I think it's just as important that young people have that opportunity to learn as well about topics that are really important um, to, to everyday life for all of us as well. So I think the work that Joe is doing with WYSIWOOS is, is actually you know fantastic, putting that in the framework of a, a, a fun learning environment um, Yeah, should, should hopefully appeal really well to, to kids. So good to see she's doing that. Um, other things that we, we talked about that I thought were really interesting is that um, nurture versus nature for, for people when they're entrepreneurs or, or, or not in, in older life. Um, I would say I didn't grow up in uh, an environment where I was surrounded by entrepreneurs, you know, is a, I guess you'd call it a working class family, uh, single mum. And yeah, I, I don't feel like I had any exposure to, to the entrepreneurial world at all as, as far as I can I can think really um, but I feel like I'm learning a lot from being around entrepreneurial people and, and I think there's a lot of um, uh, you know nurture involved in that that's I, I'm now seeing the world in a different way and and I think that translates when you're in part of a franchise network as well everybody in a franchise network is self-employed individual looking for ways to improve their business and um, yeah find success and it's not at the detriment of others it's in support of others as well and it's a big reason why I love the the industry so 
It's interesting that Jo wasn't necessarily around entrepreneurs when she was younger, but uh, it, maybe it skipped a generation or something like that. But she's uh, what I would class as a serial entrepreneur. So uh, the, some, something's happened in her, her background and her life to help her to, to get to that point. But um, yeah, I, I think um, the other thing as well is the work she's doing on the Franchise Business School. I think that's really interesting and important as well because I've seen a lot of companies recently looking at franchising as a way to grow their business. It's a great model for that, in fact, but um, it's not always the right model for everybody. And the fact that she's she's walked the walk, as she says, and she's now training other people how to, to do it and to, how to avoid some of those pitfalls, I think, is is fantastic as well. So um, I'm going to leave it there for this one. And um, thanks again to to Joe for for sharing her story and for for giving us lots of information and insights into her world. Um, if you're interested in learning more about franchising, uh, thefranchise.com. We're working on lots of content that we'll um, put out there, so you can you can help to learn and discover uh, the franchising community yourself. Um, and a final shout out really goes to uh, Symphony, the sponsor of the podcast. So make sure you reach out to them if you're a franchise or looking to improve your, your lead to sale conversion rate. Um, you can find them on www.symphony.co.uk forward slash disenfranchised. So thanks once again. Of course, you can always find me on LinkedIn and the, the franchised on there as well. Uh, as well as Facebook, Instagram, and we've got a YouTube channel with lots of content going on there as well. So thanks once again for listening. Really appreciate it. And I'll catch you on the next one. Bye-bye.